When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at DCAUReview.com. Now, here's today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to episode 123 of the DCAU Review. I am one of the two hosts, Cal, and with me, my good brother, our other host, the man that's in charge of running our Twitter page, and my good brother, it is Liam. Liam, welcome back to week two of our Green Lantern Month here at the DCAU that's right. This is our, uh, our first month focused on a single character, although technically we're cheating because we're uh, looking at more than one uh, Green Lantern. This is the, the wonder of uh, comics and cartoons over the years. Quite a few people have uh, wielded the ring, but yes, our first uh, sort of character-focused month here got a lot of good feedback on our, on our first episode and things people would like to see us review this month and, and that kind of stuff going forward. So yeah, I'm uh, excited to get back into it and to continue with perhaps I think for most DCAU fans their favorite Green Lantern that being an episode featuring Jon Stewart yeah uh, we put up an unofficial poll this past week on our Instagram page which you can check out if you're not following us follow us at DCAU review of uh, put, put together uh, some of the the Green Lanterns from sector 2814 and Pretty sure the unofficial results. John was uh, was pretty much the overwhelming winner. Uh, there were some were some votes there for for some of the others on there, but uh, yeah, John John is the DCAU Green Lantern just because of the sheer amount of appearances that uh, he he's made in the DCAU. So it's it's only right that we focus this week's episode on him. Of course, we talked about last week, our week one, if you missed it, check it out in the archives at DCAUReview.com. We talked about Kyle Rayner, and uh, he was officially the first appearance of the, the Green Lantern in the DCAU. So, well, actually, I guess technically it was Avin Sewer because he made an on-screen <laughs> appearance <laughs> in the Green Lantern costume first. But, uh, you know, semantics there, but... Uh, Anyway, moving forward here, we are going to talk today, Liam. We are in the world of Justice League because that is where we first met Jon Stewart. And we are discussing the episode Hearts and Minds, uh, which is Justice League Season 1 episode. Season 1? Season 2. Season 2 episode. Uh, And that originally debuted on October 25th. 2003, Liam, that means uh, just next month we will be celebrating the 17-year anniversary of that episode. Before we get into discussing our four categories and giving an official score for this episode, though, Liam, I know uh, you are well prepared and ready with the Internet Movie Database, the IMDb official synopsis for this week's episode. Yes, and the great news about it is since we're covering Justice League, it's two parts, which means I get two synopses to read. Oh, yes. All right, and these are the synopses for Hearts and Minds, parts one and two, which were written by Keith Dameron, directed by Butch Lukic, with music by Lolita Ritmanis and animation by Coco. And these synopses read as such. After learning of his mentor Katma's fall in battle, the Green Lantern travels to a world at the edge of the galaxy to investigate. And for part two? Joined by Hawkgirl, Martian Manhunter, and The Flash, the Green Lantern and Katma face the fanatic cult leader Despero in an effort to stop his plans to conquer the galaxy. 
All right. Well, those are pretty good. I, I don't find any fault with those. Yeah, those are pretty pretty solid. That, that is uh, that is sort of a, a good way to jump into our plot from there. Uh, episode starts out uh, starts out hot. We see Cat Matui and some of the other Green Lanterns, which we previously met in the episode in Blackest Night, like Gallius and Arcus Chumak, as well as Kilowog. They're sort of uh, pinned down. They're in the middle of this firefight that they are losing. Uh, Gallius and Arcus are killed, and Katma tells Kilowog to go get some help. And that's sort of uh, where we get our, that's sort of our cold open of the episode, is that even the great Green Lantern Corps here is, is really overmatched against this new threat which we find out later to be sort of a very classic uh, Justice League villain, uh, that being the man with three eyes, Despero. Yeah, and uh, so this is one, Liam, we did not have this one on videotape, as we so often talk about. You know, we, we did not have cable at the time uh, of, of this show being on the air, or at least, uh, at least I did not. So this was not one that our grandfather had taped videotaped for us and one that we had seen very often. So it wasn't until the DVDs came out, uh, that we were able to, I think, watch this one maybe for the first time or, or, uh, you may have seen it in the original run, but, uh, I, I did not. So this is one that I wasn't as familiar with and for whatever reason was not heavily in the rotation, even after, getting the DVDs. Uh, so mm-hmm. this was, this is sort of a, a fresh, fresh take on this. I, 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 there were twists and turns to this episode that I wasn't, uh, didn't, didn't quite remember and definitely, uh, was, was not as familiar with this episode. So I didn't have as many memories or, or I came in a little more fresh with, with this week's episode than I would on a normal week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I definitely, I definitely had seen this one a couple times, maybe when it first aired, but it was not, yeah, I agree. It was definitely not one that we went back to a lot uh, once we did have it on DVD. So yeah, it was it was really an interesting, fun experiment to uh, kind of jump back in with an episode we're not as familiar with, compared to some of the more famous ones like the Justice Lords or Starcross or something, which we've probably each seen, uh, you know, at least a half a dozen times or so. This one was definitely a more unique experience. And I was familiar, so uh, we always like to talk about things, uh, you know, that that how we were first introduced to characters. Maybe uh, we were familiar with the Despero character for a couple of different reasons. I don't know if you remember, but there was a Justice League Super Nintendo game. It was a like a mm-hmm. fighting game, real combat type style game. Justice League uh, Task Force. There you go. Uh, when we were growing up, and uh, we I think we rented it or borrowed it from somebody. I don't think we ever owned it, uh, but uh, so so Despero was in that game and then uh, he was so he was one of the available fighters was a little bit familiar with him there and then uh, later on in the the mid to late 90s there was a action figure line called total justice oh yes a a justice league figure line and despero was one of the few villains that they uh that they released from that from that series so uh he was not completely foreign to us as a villain but i don't think i went into this episode really knowing much about him, who he was, and what his story was. So this episode sort of fleshes that out a little bit. Uh, as you mentioned, we we have that opening battle, and we find out that uh, Despero is a uh, a a cult dictator leader uh, on this planet. He's sort of taken over uh, by means of of religion, I guess, uh, and mm-hmm. is now is now sort of enforcing his will. And uh, sort of using this this eternal eternal flame that they they sort of worship as a as a god known as the Pytar, and uh, so he he harnesses this power through his his third eye, and uh, he sort of dictates and oppresses the people in uh, through using the power to sort of oppress them and keep them in line and make sure that he's he's uh, he remains in power like all good dictators do and by good <laughs> i mean all effective dictators do it was when i was set upon by a gang of thieves bent on taking what little i had that the ultimate truth was revealed to me before the thieves could flee the ground split asunder a great flame shot forth and destroyed my assailants.
I was spared. My third eye opened and the flame spoke to me in a voice only I could hear. It told me of a time when Kalinor would become a paradise. Pytar charged me with the honor of leading my world to greatness and spreading its light across the galaxy. Hmm. Your story sounds a little derivative. You doubt my word? Behold, the flame of Pytar! Uh, you know, wielding wielding the power as as it were, and making sure that uh, he crushes each and every person in his wake. So uh, a- after Kilowog escapes the initial battle and and arrives on Earth, and which is weird because he fled the the planet, uh, the battle between him and and Despero's men, and he didn't really seem to have suffered any damage. But then all of a sudden he just crash landed on Earth, and he was in. He was kind of in in worse for wear, uh, almost dead, it seemed. Yeah, I don't know if the implication there is that like some of Despero's forces followed him. That again wasn't shown. He just sort of flies up into the sky and disappears, or if he just like he was going so fast and he came in so hot that he couldn't slow down. In which case, he's just kind of an idiot, I guess. But uh, yeah, that that didn't necessarily make a lot of sense. But it sort of gives. John Stewart, his call to action as they found him, he he tells he you know, Kilowog's able to say the cat was Kamatui, this Green Lantern who we later find out was John Stewart's trainer as well as maybe some other things, um, and and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and so he's able to get that message out before passing out. So John sort of goes off by himself to investigate while the rest of the Justice League, in this case being Flash, Hawkgirl, and Martian Manhunter, sort of take care of Kellogg and sort of get filled in on what exactly is going on and about this this strange cult leader, Despero, that's taken over this planet and is sort of amassing this large army. Yeah, so he's, he's amassing this army and he's going to use his power to sort of... Uh... I guess spread from planet to planet is is ultimately what they determine that he's doing, and the, the subplot is is that John has sort of been affected after he's captured and thrown into the flame of Pytar. He's he's been affected by Despero's power, and that, that affects his ability to use his ring, which seems like a it I, I don't know it seems like a a familiar trope that they use here that in order to in order to make him more vulnerable or because he has this overpowered weapon, uh, they have to find a way for him to not be able to use it in order to make him relatable. Uh, <laughs> we see this obviously in, in the Savage Time, which we covered back in the archives at DCAReview.com. Uh, in, and I believe there's there has to be, I'm sure, another another episode where this, this seems like a familiar trope. I want to say maybe... War world or no maybe in blackest night where they t- they take away his power ring and he's not allowed to use it and it's really the only way that you can make him sort of humanized and and it's it like in this episode it just kind of feels like a a a distraction that didn't need to be included yeah i i don't know like i think it's yeah there, i think there's some interesting stuff in here and that to me is sort of the John Stewart being at sort of this crossroads where he's, you know, he's back with his, his, his ex, who is also his teacher. And he sort of has, and if if we had focused more on that and then sort of juxtaposing that with his sort of budding relationship with Hawkgirl, as well as sort of who he is as the Green Lantern of Earth and part of this Justice League now, um, like if it had been more of like a character study on him and sort of who he was when he was a first, uh, you know, when he was first recruited to the core and and versus who he is now. And he sort of has it's sort of like he has this crossroads moment where he has to choose whether or not to go back to the Justice League or or just sort of revert back to his, you know, his his older ways like that could have maybe been more interesting. But, yeah, just doing the bit where, yes, they established that Despero's power you know, has the power to affect people's minds, brainwash people and such. And so apparently, yes. He's able to sort of just break John's connection with his ring and with his ability to sort of focus his his willpower. Um, but I think it's also when you do something like this, the resolution is is always just like at a certain point, it just has to work again. Right. And that's kind of what happens here is that near the end of the episode, you know, Despero is 
has captured Cat Matui, Hawk Girl, and John. Uh, he brainwashes Katma. He's about to brainwash Hawk Girl, and John just sort of is so, uh, you know, so I guess incensed and angered by Despero, uh, you know, hurting, harming these two women that he cares for, that he suddenly gains his willpower back and, and gets the ring back. And like, it's it's not terrible or anything, but I do think if you instead of doing the thing where his ring doesn't work. Uh, if you maybe took it a different direction and just sort of did it more as an, an open character study of kind of who he was when he was first a recruit of the core and kind of what his past represents to him versus his future, uh, I think that would have been more interesting than just his ring doesn't work for for part of the episode and then it does. Yeah, I see. I mean, I see what they were going for. And, and like you said, it certainly implicated that his relationship with Kat Matui was more than just uh, student teacher. I, I mean, there was there was plenty of, of subtle of subtle uh, commentary from the whether it's lines from the flash where he talks about it being a teacher's pet. He underestimated Despero's real power. The others never had a chance. I was lucky to get this far. I lost some good friends back there. And what about this Cat Matui? I'm not sure what happened to her. She was the Green Lantern who trained John. They must have been close. Very close. He was teacher's pet? Go GL. But obviously there was some sort of romantic relationship in between the two of them. Uh, and of course, they have Hawkgirl in the storyline. And, and obviously we have the, the foresight of being able to see how their relationship eventually sort of comes together but at this time this is before they had completely fleshed out that they were going to be a couple and it was more this is more of the the story of how they got to the point where where they did so uh yeah it's it's interesting i i think there are interesting interesting things that they touch on but yeah the the trope of his his ring not working and him being oh well he just has to he has to relearn how to use the ring. I, I didn't really like that. I care for that too much, I guess, is, is what I was looking uh, what I'm looking to say. Uh, ultimately, also, there's no real explanation at the end how he's able to sort of override the the, you know, the issue that he had to begin with, where his mind was affected by Despero's power. It just he's in there. He sees he sees that Hawkgirl is about to be tortured or killed or that Despero is going to use his power on her. And he just sort of basically uses the force and yes. uh, has his, calls his ring to his hand and is all of a sudden able to use it again. So uh, it, it not really explained. It's not really touched on as to why I guess the implication is, is that hot girls, hot girl being in trouble was enough for him to, to get his groove back, but it, it, it yeah. again, it's not really explained clearly either. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that about covers it. Like I said, the the other sort of subplot here is the this resistance that they're all working with is uh, Kellogg builds a bomb that he they want to blow up this flame of Pytar to sort of cut off Despero from his power. So while uh, Katma and and John and Hawkgirl are captured. Uh, uh, Martian Manhunter, Flash, and Kilowog go to do that, and then Martian Manhunter figures out that the, the flame is actually a living being, and he sort of, it, the flame is able to speak through Jean, and that sort of convinces the rest of the people of Despero's world to lay down their arms, and uh, and that's sort of, that's sort of the end, is that, and that sort of allows the planet to be restored to its former glory, because they sort of set up that it's this barren desert of a planet, and then, but that allegedly this flame of Pytar will one day lead them back to paradise. And but it wasn't through sort of the 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 warring ways of Despero. It was through you know laying down their arms is when when the the planet could be restored and trees spring out and and sort of greenery springs out all over the the world and swallows Despero and all of his minions up and i guess turns them some of them into literal trees yeah it's like um, the poison ivy it's like maybe this is a, a reverse easter egg of where poison poison ivy got that <laughs> uh got that toxin it's it's okay. also the ma same magic based on the flame of pytar <laughs> okay i like it i like it yeah i mean Definitely dollar not. in the bad episodes 
jar for yes. uh, for bringing up eternal youth but yeah that, that, that that's sort of the ending there is that the the, the flame of pytar restores the world and sort of takes care of despero and all of the bad guys for them um and then sort of katma asks john to stay and and he he says that he can't and that he has he has he, he t- tells hawk girl that he has more clarity about who he is now and that's sort of the end of our episode and Again, I feel like if we had focused more on this just being who Jon Stewart is as a character and sort of what what are, what are the contrasts of who he was when he was with Kat Matui and was a regular member of the Corps versus who he is now that he's part of this Justice League, I feel like that was a more interesting route and kind of just going, like we've said, the the his ring don't work so good route was uh, was not necessarily the... The way I would have gone. Um, like I said, I don't. I don't think it's a terrible episode, and and there's some there's some good stuff in there. There's, I like I like the Flash and uh, Kilowog buddy, buddy relationship. I think that's fun. Um, yeah, and... I was by the end of this episode, I was championing for a for a Flash and Kilowog buddy cop TV show. Yes. It's, their their chemistry is great. Obviously, we'll we'll talk a little bit about voice acting, but the the, the voice actors involved. But uh, I thought that they they wrote those two characters very well. Obviously, both have an affinity for for food uh, and mm-hmm. uh, they share that that love and they play off each other very well. Obviously, Kilowog shows his his brilliance and his genius despite his sort of large oafish appearance uh, that you know deep down he's quite brilliant based on the fact that he's able to build this carbon bomb that they're going to use at the end of the end of the episode to uh extinguish the the flame of of pytar but uh yeah it's their relationship i thought was was touched on it was just enough not to be distracting and and uh and and take focus away from what they what they wanted the focus to be on the episode so uh, i thought that was a great subplot also yeah, and there's even a nice little bit of a character moment I think for Flash that harkens back to uh, Savage Time when when Hawkgirl leaves John behind and Flash sort of yells at her for it. And here we see again when when Despero's forces sort of attack the the Resistance base and and John and and Hawkgirl and Kamatsui are sort of left to defend them so that they can get away and go try to drop this co- carbon bomb in the fire. Uh, Flash again is very conflicted about that, but is sort of convinced by Kilowog and, and Martian Manhunter that that's that's their job today is to defend us, so we can go hopefully put a stop to this. And Flash sort of reluctantly goes with them. So, so I was like, yeah, that's that's some good ca- character consistency there for Flash. Yeah, I agree. Uh, always good to see his character explored. Of course, he gets more fleshing out later on as we go through and ultimately in Justice League Unlimited. But uh, yeah, I think this this episode does a good good job of exploring his character a little bit. Also, uh, you also get a little bit of, of Hawkgirl here, as we said. You know, she's uh, ultimately building towards this ultimate betrayal of her and John, but you get a little bit more insight of, of her attraction to John and, and bickering with, with him in the opening scene as they're trying to do some work on the, the watchtower and their continued flirtation throughout and ultimately her sort of uh, there, there are moments that she witnesses between John and Katma that sort of, you know, they at least allude to her being a little bit jealous. She doesn't come mm-hmm. out and say it, but to, at the end with John's decision to ultimately leave uh, Katma and, and the planet that they were on to, you know, go back to, to be with the justice league and to continue defending his own sector, uh, you know, Hawkgirl is, is pleasantly surprised and and ultimately John is able to sort of uh, quell her fears of, and, and feelings of jealousy. That cat was quite a woman. Yeah, a good teacher too. But some things can't be taught. Some things you only get through experience. Like? Clarity. And we should mention here as we're wrapping up plot, uh, there are a couple of name checks of, uh, of a, a Green Lantern named Rainer, who uh, apparently went off to train with Kat Matui shortly after getting his ring. And ah. when, when it appears that Jon Stewart is, is unable to use his ring, Kat Matui also suggests that they'll have to recall him to replace Jon on Earth. So he's, uh, he's still out there somewhere, folks. Maybe we'll even see him later this month one more time. But uh, 
yeah, overall, like I said, I don't think it's a great episode. There's some interesting stuff. It furthers some of the GL Hawkgirl stuff. It obviously comes to a head at the end of this second season of Justice League. But overall, like I said, I think it's I think it's just all right. And uh, for all those reasons, I gave plot a six out of ten. Yeah, uh, I ended up giving it the same score, six out of ten. The other thing I couldn't quite figure out what they were trying to say. I don't know if this a lot of times uh, some of these less more obvious plot points here as i said you know this is a, a dictator that's sort of leading the his his planet through mm-hmm. intimidation and religion and it's it's hard it's they didn't pick one specific thing to go with here they didn't choose like oh this is a cult leader that's you know manipulating his followers by uh you know by disguising them and hiding behind a, a religious prophecy like they use a little bit of that but they also mm-hmm. then sort of just use a straight up dictatorship there's uh you know there's they even use the nazi salute as yes. as sort of the the uh, the symbol that they that they do to align themselves with despero so it it seemed like that they wanted to say something or had a commentary about something, whether it's separation of church and state or whether it's, you know, dictatorships are bad. I, I don't, right. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't quite come clear. And which is why it's, it's, you know, maybe if they were making more of a, of an overt statement, I could, I could comment, I could, you know, comment on it and feel one way or the other in you know, more positive or more negative about it. But it sort of just kind of ended up just kind of, uh, you know, flapping in the wind a little bit with not quite sure what direction they were going in or what they were trying to say. Yeah, when when the, the flame is sort of speaking through Jean at the end of the episode, it's talking about how sort of, you know, the, the message of, of of the flame is, is one of peace and, and prosperity and harmony and how Despero has sort of uh, distorted that message for his own gains. It's like, so yeah, that's, that's obviously playing on sort of that could be playing on sort of religious extremism and religious cultism in in the real world. But as you said, there's also some sort of straight up fascist Nazi imagery to go along with that. And while those things can go hand in hand in, in the real world, they're not always the same. So kind of mixing, you know, so being sort of half religious cult, half just fascist warring army uh, makes for, yeah, I guess it's, being bad is bad. I think that's what I got out of it at the end. <laughs> yes, indeed. Bad, evil is bad. Got it. Yes. Thanks, Justice League. All right, Liam. Let's move on to our visuals and animations. Uh, I, I think that to me, this was the strongest part of the episode. Uh, I, well, I, I definitely think it was the strongest part of the episode. Uh, there was a, a lot of of things that popped off of the screen. A lot of opportunity for them to. Uh, explore and, and have some fun with some alien creatures and some designs. Uh, anything stick out for you specifically? Yeah, I, I like the design of of the of Despero's home world. Um, I think they went with sort of like a I guess sort of a Middle Eastern style look to the town. It's a lot of like you know it's all in the middle of the desert and there are these sort of villages and. A lot of them are in sort of these these robes and everything, and I, I, I like the designs. We get some some different alien designs. Most of them are sort of the same species as Despero, these purple aliens with these fins on top of their head. But there are some other uh, cool alien designs that we get to see uh, throughout the episode. So it looked like, yeah, I, th- I thought the character designs and everything were, were really quite cool. I like seeing, as we said in the opening of part one, we get to see sort of a group of the Green Lantern Corps in action, which I guess we saw a little bit of in uh, in Blackest Night, but to sort of see them in a different light, seeing them sort of overmatched by this giant armada that they're facing off with, I thought that was really good. And and then uh, I thought, yeah, I thought the most of sort of the heavy action at the end when you have when you're sort of cutting back and forth between John having this one-on-one fight with Despero while Flash and Martian Manhunter are trying to drop this bomb. I thought there was uh, some, it's, it's really well paced in the action there. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I, I think, I think that the battles are fun. I think that they use them effectively. Uh, I'm, I'm still not quite sure. I, I guess, I, I guess they explain, I guess maybe this could go back to plot, but they explain, they don't really explain how the, the power of the Pytar also is sort of, uh, 
worked out through the army, like Vesper's army also is able to sort of manifest and manipulate the, the flame of Pytar as well to sort of create this impervious force field that seems to make them almost invulnerable. Um, so that was a little confusing at times as to how, how, how they sort of manifested that or manipulated that, that tool. But uh, I, I, I think that the flame looked, looked interesting. I think that, that that plays a huge part in it. I think that um, there's, there is a bit of mix of that CGI with the, with the standard uh, animation that we talked about going back to uh, initiation. If you listen to it in the archives, episode 101, uh, we talked about that on that episode. That sometimes how that can sort of it's sort of jarring at times just because the, the animation has got like digital animation is mm-hmm. already sort of bright and, and obvious. And then you mix that in with the sort of 3d CGI uh, and it just, it's a weird, it's a weird combination sometimes. And especially nowadays, obviously this is, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, this is a uh, almost 17 years old. So you, you go back and you look at the episode and, Obviously, technology is always getting better, and, and computer, computer animation is always improving. So, looking back at this, sometimes it's like, oof, you know, it's it's not great. There's a there's a, a spaceship at the beginning of the scene where it stands out very, very clearly. This is CGI, <laughs> and it just sort of, it's it's a little bit cringe worthy looking at it now. With that said, what they ended up doing with the flame, I thought worked very well because it's sort of a background. For a lot of the a lot of the episode, and is there's sort of this effect that they use around the soldiers and Despero, and uh, I I thought that the 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 visuals in the final scene that we talked about with where Jean sort of uh, enters the flame and then the flame begins to speak through him, I thought that 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 visual stood out as something just it, it was great. They use sort of a silhouette for Jean's shadows, and then the flame is sort of coming through. Uh, his eyes and his his hands and his legs and uh, mm. just just a really interesting looking visual and the the color being that purple that sort of you know it matches with the the skin color of the rest of the uh, of the rest of Despero's people is was I thought very uh, very very interesting looking and, and stood out. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's a that's a good way. I like some of the various alien weaponry we get to see, like you said, there's a, there's a scene of Kilowog sort of creating this bomb uh, and they show sort of the interworkings of it as he's putting it together with his ring. I think that's, that's a cool little sequence there. And of course, John, before he sort of fixes his, his ring problem, he's all sort of geared up with bot with grenades and, and bullets and, and everything and these giant guns and, uh, it's yeah. There's there's some uh, there's some pretty cool stuff throughout it. The the sequence where they're sort of after he is thrown into the flame, and they're pulling him back in with a a teleporter, uh, and they're sort of working on it, and he's sort of fading in and out of of existence. I guess I think that was a that was a cool sequence as well. So they yeah. There's some there's some really strong visuals here. Um, like I said, I think the 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 hallmark is definitely the battle scenes, and certainly at the end when. Uh, John finally starts to get the upper hand against Despero, and he he just punches him, and then Despero's third eye is sort of closed, and there's the the imprint of the Green Lantern symbol over his third eye. I thought that was a really cool little visual uh, trick that they did, and and then yeah, the ending of when the tree sort of bursts up and and wraps its vines around at Despero, and he sort of accepts his fate, and he. I would have guessed not intentionally is in like a crucifix pose at that point. Um, they they definitely went for some really interesting imagery with that at the end, which I guess plays more into the religious fanaticism side of this. But yeah, there's overall I think there's some really really strong visuals throughout the episode, and I actually gave it a eight out of ten. Nice. Uh, I went just a little bit higher, and I actually ended up giving this episode a perfect ten out of ten visuals i think it's very impressive i think a lot of the battle scenes uh i think this episode and they they with the dialogue in some of the scenes uh, i think it was very obvious that they ended up having a very star wars influence with this episode there's some some direct homages whether it's uh i, I think uh cat matui's brass bikini is certainly mm-hmm. one 
one uh, obvious visual uh, nod to the to the Star Wars uh, lore. I think they actually there's a there's a uh, conversation that happens between John and Kat Matui where he mentions that she actually sounds like Yoda, uh, based <laughs> on the line that she says, which led me to wonder. It's like okay, so that means that Star Wars exists in the DCAU, which mm-hmm. means that Mark Hamill uh, played in theory. <laughs> Mark Hamill, the actor, played Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, in theory, which means Mark Hamill also voices uh, the Joker, which means, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, I feel like we need to go back and crawl into that, that uh, Justice League action short where yes. yeah, Mark Hamill is kidnapped by the Joker here. We're just, my mind is just melting at the, 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 the thinking about what's how this whole all works but anyway yeah that's uh, sort of the the inherent danger of any fictional property mentioning uh other fictional properties (laughs) is uh you start thinking about stuff like that or like wait that actor exists in this world that means right was that That you know that that confuses you yeah there you go well anyway so that that was my my uh, fun fun thought there. Anyway, I think the, the battle scenes certainly are the standout. I thought they had a lot of fun with that. I think coming out of the gate with the, the fight scene between Despero's army and and the Green Lantern Corps was really, really strong. Um, of course, I, I would have loved to have seen some more constructs. And, uh, yes. And it's it's interesting because John, during his retraining scene with Katma, is is shown making these uh, shape constructs. It's like, this guy never does shape constructs. What does he need to focus on? He just needs to be able to focus on whether or not he can shoot a beam out of his ring. Right. He makes a bubble and shoots his beam. <laughs> um, right, which obviously is one of the one of the complaints that I think they sort of started to rectify in, in Justice League Unlimited was John being a more creative with his, with his ring. To me, I always thought, I, I guess we can talk about it since we're in the middle of Green Lantern Month here, but I always thought that, to me, that was just it was a stylistic type thing, like personality type thing for each green lantern. Like there are some that are more creative. John's personality is that he's sort of a soldier and mm-hmm. not like the creative artist type that Kyle Rayner is. It would make more sense with Kyle being an artist and somebody that, you know, we talked about in last week's episode, he, he talks about daydreaming and, you know, what he thinks about and how he thinks about things, which lends to that creativity, being able to, to create these intricate designs in order uh, constructs in order for him to to fight evil with but with John as a soldier he's just worried about getting the job done and I felt like that always lended more to that that character as it as who he was yeah no I definitely agree with that I've I was never someone that that really bothered like obviously when you're a kid it's cool to see all the different shapes and um I know in the comic books john was later on after leaving the military became an architect um so you could uh, so i think it makes more sense maybe in the books for him to be a bit more creative with his sure with his constructs but in, in this version so far as we know he was he was a military man so yeah it would make sense that he would be less interested with creating sort of wacky shapes or or, or imagination so much as just what can i do to get the job done as as this soldier and as this sort of, you know, very focused man that, that we've met since the the first season of Justice League here. So, yeah, I never really had a problem with him not using constructs, but obviously I get it. It is, you know, very visually interesting to have the Green Lanterns be able to do that. Uh, not many Easter eggs in this week's episode, Liam, from what I saw visually, other than, like I said, maybe Kat Matui's uh, brass bikini. But uh, there was a creature that uh, came, that popped up in the middle of one of the scenes walking through that sort of had a uh, thing from the Fantastic Four type look from uh, to him. I don't know if you caught that. He was sort of uh, walking through in the middle. I believe it was in part one through through one of the scenes in uh, in one of the villages, I think when John uh, first puts on that sort of cloak and he's trying to find locate Cat Matui, there's a creature who's he's short and has like rock like features to him, and he's wearing like the blue 
the blue spandex uh, shorts <laughs> that uh, the thing the thing wears. So I was, I was thinking maybe that, that that was possibly a nod to him. But the, other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, additional visual Easter eggs in this week's episode. A uh, last thing I will mention, and we may have the opportunity, may have the opportunity to talk about this later in the month, is uh, this is our second appearance in. Uh, well, I guess maybe he was in the. He was probably he was definitely in last week's episode as a cameo also, but. Uh, one of the first appearances that we get of Kilowog in action here, and we know that's a that's a, a character that changes his look as we pro- progress throughout this series. Uh, <laughs> more than once, I, in fact. Yeah, more multiple times. Uh, I what what are your feelings on this this iteration of of Kilowog? Yeah, like I said, I think it's uh, a lot of the fun with Kilowog. I think is more just his his uh his personality that's showcased in this episode like i said there's this sequence where he and flash go to the uh to uh john's apartment to find his power battery and get accosted by his landlord good lord what is it what are you doing in my building and why are you wearing me those those clothes uh ma'am we can explain yo ouch Lady, please! Mr. Stewart has told me about monsters like you. Well, I'm not gonna let you suck out my brains! Ow! Lady, we're his friends! The good guys! Found it! Knock it off, lady! I'm going. What are you waiting for? Nice meeting you, man. If we ever need a replacement for Hawk Girl. Um, and so it's a, a lot of it is a lot more just character based and, and humor based, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see sort of their different, uh, the different personalities. Obviously we, we, we established in this first scene that Kat Matui is kind of the, the top leader of the, of this crew and, and that, that everyone is sort of following her lead, um, which I, I think is a little different than, than the books just because Kilowog is usually in the books is usually portrayed as more of this sort of no nonsense gruff. Uh, you know, trains the new recruits, that type of guy. And this one is a lot more, uh, you know, kind and and good hearted, it seems. So I, I liked Kellogg in this as far as seeing him in action. Yeah, he's they 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 established that he's he's certainly powerful and uh, and a strong Green Lantern in his own right. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's it's that's another fun part of this episode beyond it being sort of a, a Green Lantern, a John Stewart focused story is that we do get to spend more time with, with Kellogg, who we met and sort of saw briefly in the, in the, in Blackest Night episodes. And then uh, obviously being introduced to this Cat Matui character as well. And then sort of seeing them uh, sort of seeing the Green Lantern core in action and sort of how they, they work as a team versus, you know, comparing that to how maybe the Justice League works as a team. So yeah, I think there's there's some fun stuff to be had there, especially in that that opening scene when they're facing off against Despero's army. There you go. All right, Liam. Well, let's move on to our next category. That is going to be music. Uh, there's a lot of background, sort of basic theme setting music. Uh, there were really only two parts that I, I thought that the music stood out, and those both came in part two. Yeah, there wasn't a lot that stood out to me other than, yes, we have some sort of frantic uh, action fight music with a, with a fast tempo during the, the opening sequence where the Green Lanterns are facing off against the, the uh, Despero army. And, and there's sort of a softer romantic music that plays when, when, when John and Katma are kind of reunited near the end of part one. And, and then we get, uh, yeah, again, it's, it's a lot of... Uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't really have a lot of notes on music until I would say sort of the end of the episode when uh, first when Jean again sort of merges with the flame of, of Pytar and the flame speaks through him and then as the the greenery sort of begins to return to the earth I thought that was clever. There's like a choir brought in and some really nice piano and string music there. Yeah, the that was the, one of the ones that I notated. I, I thought that was really, really strong. It actually reminded me a little bit of the the part in Secret Origins where Jean pull, uh, pulls the Imperium into the light, and he's giving the speech about the the skin burning or the sun burning their pale skin, and uh, the music sort of sort of uh, you know 
triumphantly comes in with that. That that was very similar notes, similar feeling to that uh, of when the when the Pytar sort of re- returns the their planet to to the paradise-like state that it was in. So um, really enjoyed that. The other one that I notated actually was when uh, John used the Force uh, or <laughs> didn't use the Force and called his ring back to his hand. Uh, I thought that the, the music coming in at that point really swelling and created a, a, a great atmosphere for the music there. Uh, him then sort of breaking free and exclaiming yes, and then you know going into immediately into battle with Despero. I thought that the music ramped up really, really, really strong there and came through and stood out. But like I said, the rest of it felt more. Again, we talked about this, I think, a lot in the episodes that we've covered with Justice League. Is it's really hard not being able to hear these song, these pieces in 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 isolation. And mm-hmm. even even if we were able to hear them in isolation, a lot of them seem to have been composed as more of a of a background mood setting music and less of the less less to be the focus than they are in some of the other other cartoon DCAU cartoons that we that we cover. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I think it, a lot of it adds to the atmosphere, but none of it really is that that strong themes like we would get in Batman or even Superman. Um, that being said, like I said, I don't think it's bad, and the music at the end is, is pretty strong, so I gave music a 6 out of 10. Nice. I am right there. I gave music a 7 out of 10. Uh, I think those two moments that I mentioned were, were strong enough to pull up that score from just a just an average score, but uh, yeah, would sure would be nice to hear these these songs in isolation. So. <laughs> sure <Anyway>. would. <laughs> Moving on, Liam, let's let's finish this episode out with our final category of the day, which is going to be voice acting. A couple of famous actors here, one of whom has already we've already mentioned played a minor role, at least one or two minor roles on Superman the Animated Series. I was pleased to hear, and uh, a couple of other more famous voiceover actors that you probably will recognize their voice without recognizing their name. But uh, let's talk about today's voice cast, Liam. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big one, uh, most, and it's a big guest cast. Uh, there are, as you mentioned, quite a few famous uh, voice actors who you may not know by name, but there's like uh, Carlos Ferro as Rodako, who's sort of this resistance fighter who eventually turns on uh, the resistance and, and joins with Jespero. We have uh, Pepe Serna as Shiflet, who's another one of the resistance fighters. I think they both do a good job. I uh, should mention we have a brief appearance of uh, René Aubergenois as uh, as Gallius before he is uh, his untimely death at the start of the episode. And uh, then, yeah, we have our sort of our main voice cast guest. We have Kim, my guest, as Kat Matui, who, and she also voiced Jon Stewart's landlord. Um, <laughs> uh, what did you think of her performance? Uh, I, I thought that her performance as Kat Matui was fine. Uh, there were times where I felt like, uh, they could have gotten a better performance out of her. There were times where she needed to show emotion and I thought she didn't show a lot, but there were other Mm -hmm. times where I, I felt like she was, was good. So maybe inconsistent was the, was, uh, how I would go with it. Uh, oh. Yeah, not not bad by any means, but it wasn't wasn't consistent enough for me to say this is a, a great performance. I think that's fair. And uh, as you alluded to, Cal, we have Dennis Haysbert, uh, who folks might know from 24 or uh, Allstate insurance commercials or you know, dozens and dozens of other roles over the year. Dennis Haysbert as Kilowog. Again, like we've already talked about in uh, in plot and visuals, it's it's a lot of fun to see Kilowog not just be in action, but also get to sort of show that he is, while he is still a smart and competent uh, Green Lantern, he's also sort of this this very nice and kind-hearted person, and he and the Flash sort of has have this this bond that we talked about, and I think he does a great job. Love Dennis Haysbert. It's funny. For some reason in my head, I always had Brad Garrett as the person doing Kilowog's <laughs> voice. Uh, but I think that uh, I think Dennis Dennis Haysbert uh, surprised me. Being able shows a lot of fun emotion. He's he's uh, he's a little bit cheeky, as as our friends across the pond might say. Um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's great. I think he did a great job, and he has some some subtle humor to him, with also being like the innocent the innocent child uh, at the end as they're 
as they're leaving uh, him him behind uh, with Katma. Goodbye, Shiflet. Good luck to you all. Hey, Kilowog, Bratwurst, my place next week. You're on, Poozer. What's up, Bratwurst? Yeah, like Flash yells out at him that yeah, he's coming over next weekend for <laughs> perhaps a Bratwurst. He, he goes, okay, sounds good. And then he goes, what's a Bratwurst? And just <laughs> delivered perfectly i really 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 thought it was great so i think his his performance is uh is really strong for sure and then yes our our main villain of the piece uh that being keith david who uh if you don't know the name you might know him from movies like they live or as the voice of the main villain in disney's princess and the frog as well as a million other roles, including a, uh, a role in the last season of Community, which uh, puts a puts him in a special place in my heart. Uh, <laughs> but he is uh, he's great, and it's very he's very over the top. Like we said, uh, Despero's character is part fascist dictator, part religious extremist, and just all around evil but it isn't it's he's not skeletor about it though like he manages to be like kind of a generic villain with this motivation but keith david's performance is is for whatever reason it's, it's just just pitch perfect for it i admit i'm puzzled as to how you survived the pytar but it's just as well killing you is a waste and i could make better use of your talents in my army we're not interested it's not like you have a choice. I've just launched a second invasion wave. Soon I will launch another. You three will be part of it. Prepare to embrace the power of the Pytar. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm familiar with him, and I'm sure a lot of people, if you don't know any of those roles or, you know, who he is, you may know him also from his voiceover work. From He did a lot of the Ken Burns voiceover work for mm-hmm. the, the PBS specials. He He's sort of a parody. He parodied, parodied himself in Community also with one of the, my favorite episodes from that yes. uh, from that, from that series. Uh, and uh, so he's, he's a very strong voiceover actor and and it, you uh, I think you may ahead. also know him as the man who said on the next justice league during the yeah. during the promos that would run on cartoon network during season one there you go uh that's one i had forgotten as well <laughs> so yeah it's, it's funny they ended up using him for the actual series here too but just a legendary voice uh, very recognizable it was a little i think initially shocking at the beginning because of his legendary voice you know it's not it's not like when you pair you have somebody and I, we always go back to it like a, a william h macy or somebody who is mm-hmm. a very recognizable actor and you hear them speak and you're like, who is that? Who is that? And then you then you find out afterwards and it's like, oh, it's it's William H. Macy or, you know, it's uh, whoever. Yeah. Right. Whoever it is. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, that makes sense. This is somebody who's known for their voice. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's the guy that that's the guy. That's that guy. I, I got it. So it's his voice stands out. And you're like, I feel like my brain was automatically sort of assigning it to some of those other things, the Ken Burns or the the community appearance that he had or any of the other thousand other things that he's done. But I feel like he steps into it enough and makes it a unique enough performance where you sort of forget after that, at least initial surprise, at least I did, I forgot afterwards and he really settles into the role, really plays it well. There's a scene where one of his, his, uh, the, the leaders in his army comes to him and has to express that they were not able to defeat this resistance pocket. And, Mm -hmm. uh, He's sort of he's sort of using this sort of uh, this religious manipulation tells him that he's going to send this guy out into the desert and he's going to receive a vision from him and he sends him out. And then then one of his other his other caretakers comes in and he says, uh, be prepared to you know be prepared to work without him because he won't be coming back. You know, just a very mm-hmm. quick, ruthless switch between his, you know, this religious manipulation into this dictatorship. It really melded those two things, I think, well together and comes out with a really strong performance. Yeah. And, and sort of those final moments as the, the vines are wrapping around his body and he. And he says, I, I understand now. And, and as he's, he sort of resigns himself to his fate, it's, 
a really interesting end for that character. Hightower, uh, uh, do not forsake me. in the show so we can assume that he is right, um, right. but yeah I, I i think he's uh yeah i think he's phenomenal and then yeah other than that we have our, our main justice league cast a small cast we have just four of our seven justice leaguers we have michael rosenbaum as the flash maria canalis as hawk girl carl lumbly as the martian manhunter and of course phil lamar as john stewart the green lantern it was a small cast, and I think that kind of benefits it because you had Kat Matsui and, and Kilowog, and you were giving so much screen time to the villain. I think it's probably good that we didn't try to work in a, a Wonder Woman or a Superman as well, because they those characters, as great as they are, tend to pull focus. Yeah, they would. I think. I think having these episodes, which is why this this series is so great, is you have these episodes that were allowed to stand on their own without having a member of the of the DC Trinity involved. Obviously, Wonder Woman is a character that we we didn't know before this, but so many of the episodes in Justice League could have been overshadowed by having you know Batman or Superman in it, and that's a character obviously that we that had their own series and we know a lot about. So mm-hmm. the sort of being able to explore these other characters and i mean we 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 get multiple seasons of that as we get into justice league unlimited of of even further exploring the dc universe in this in this 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 universe so um yeah i I think that this episode is a prime example of being able to stand on its own without you have the flash obviously who's who's a who's not a a minor character you have the green lantern who's not a minor character and of course you have martian manhunter and and hawk girl as well and they're sort of more supporting i would look at as more supporting cast in in the dcu but i think having having an episode where this is the focus and you get to have those other characters sort of breathe story into it and you learn more about the relationships between these characters I, i think that's what makes justice league and ultimately justice League Unlimited great is that they were able to branch out and not just make this Superman plus these characters or Batman plus these characters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really good point. And like I said, for all those reasons, I think, I think everybody's really strong. Uh, like we said, obviously Phil Lamar gets the lion's share of the work of our main cast. Um, but I think, I think he's good, even though, like we said, there's, we have some issues with sort of the way the roads, the plot took, uh, I think he is he is good in that role and sort of trying to sell this this internal struggle that he's having and this frustration. Um, and I, I think Maria Canales is good. She's she's like you said, kind of kept limited. There's sort of some implications that she's jealous of of his relationship with Kat Matui, but she's also sort of the one to give him the pet to- pep talk to, you know, you better get back in there and keep working at it. And uh, so I, I think they're both very good. And as we talked about with the the Kilowog stuff. Uh, Michael Rosenbaum and, and Dennis Haysbert uh, together uh, as the sort of buddy cop are uh, uh, duo are, are just so much fun and, and give a lot of levity to uh, to the episode. Yeah, I, by the end of it, like I mentioned, I was rooting for a, a flash <laughs> buddy cop show. Uh, I, I think they have this sort of weird chemistry that works out so well. And Flash is obviously usually the comedic relief, and he sort of plays the straight man to Kilowog's comedy in, in this episode a lot. So that's a lot of it's visual comedy, and, and Kilowog is eating, you know, eating entire containers, container and all, of, of ice cream uh, or, you know, <laughs> or videotapes of old Yeller. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's some visual gags that go along with it, but their performance and chemistry together is very apparent here, which is not one that you would necessarily say hmm michael rosenbaum and dennis haysbert yeah that's a pair that that should work well together i think in my mind that that's it's a bit of an odd coupling but it works out here yeah i think and i think that final line is they're exiting the apartment after being uh accosted by the landlady 
and uh, Flash lets her know that he'll he'll give her a call if they ever need a replacement for Hawk Girl. I, I thought that was very <laughs> funny and very well delivered. That was good. And then yeah, we like I said, Carl Lumbly is as Martian Manhunter. He doesn't get a lot to do uh, other than sort of this final scene as he merges with the flame of Pytar and. It's his voice, and uh, and I might also be Maria Canalis's. They have a female voice sort of layered in with his mm-hmm. as, he's, as he's speaking. But I thought, yeah, I think he, he does a good job there. But like I said, overall, I think it's a great performance from almost everybody. I agree with you that uh, Kim, my guest, is Katmatu. is a little inconsistent again. It could be could be her. It could be the just the script she was given. It could be the direction she was asked, but for whatever reason, I, uh, I settled on a final voice acting score of nine out of 10. Uh, I am right there. I gave you the exact same score. Imagine that <laughs> nine out of 10. I think it's very strong. I think it will a little bit more consistency. We probably would have bumped it up to a, to a perfect score out of there for Kat Matui, but uh, overall, very, very strong regardless there. Uh, great voice cast and uh, some legendary voice actors there in, in that. Uh, it was, we always like to, to give praise where it's due to Andrea Romano for her casting choices and the thing, the people Absolutely. that she choo- chooses to cast. And this is another home run, I'd say. Oh, absolutely agreed. It's uh, it's so much fun. And uh, like we said, there's, there's a good mix of uh, the very serious nature at hand, the sort of over-the-top villain, and some, some some of the lighter comedic and even some romantic moments in there. So it's, yeah, it's 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 well-acted almost all the way around. Well, there you go. Well, Liam, I think that about wraps us up for this week. Let's get our final scores totaled up for this week's episode. Totaling everything up, I end up with a final score of 32 out of 40. And I am just a touch lower than you on that on that list there, Cal, with a final score of 29 out of 40. All righty. So let's talk about rewatchability here, Liam. Uh, I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, you definitely learn a little bit more about John. Uh, We talked about that as far as in Blackest Night. You learn some about John there. This is sort of world building for him. Him not obviously having his own animated series, sort of uh, where we learn piece by piece. We learned in... Uh, the episode uh, Legends, where he's uh, where he talks about you know his childhood a little bit and things that he grew up appreciating and him reading other comic books and Blackest Night mm-hmm. we learned about sort of his past and coming back home to his old neighborhood. This I think adds a little bit uh, to the time of him certainly in his training and what he was like in you know coming up through the ranks in the Lantern Corps. Uh, other than that, though. I guess between that and and maybe a little bit more more depth to the Hawk Girl Green Lantern relationship there, there's not a lot here that I think is a must see. No, not really. Um, like some of these characters do come back later on in, in Justice League Unlimited, but they don't speak <laughs> in the episode, <laughs> so it's hard to say that like you need to watch this. Like this is some big important linchpin. Like I said, if it is a, a fun enough time to uh, to learn a little bit more about John's John's character and his thought process on everything, and to see him kind of put through some adversity. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say this is a a must rewatch. Like I said, if you're if uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily one of the best episodes of this original two season run of Justice League. Uh, nor would I say it's particularly integral to the plot or the overarching DCAU timeline. So. Like I said, I, you know, it's all right. You certainly could do worse, uh, as you can find out at our website if you go to the bad episode section. But uh, no, I, I wouldn't say this is a must watch or a must rewatch if you're if you're just kind of looking for the cream of the crop. Yeah, I think there are aspects that and I, th- and I think before we went on the air, you mentioned it, that this at times feel like an, it feels like an episode that could have been a, a 22 minute episode that they sort of stretched out into a into a 44 minute episode as far as the story is concerned. Yes. Agreed. Um, agreed with myself. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it just feels a little long in the tooth at certain points. It takes us a while to get into John sort of loses his power near the end of part one, but then we sort of already have him beginning to learn that he needs to retrain. And then we have sort of the, the, the justice league descending on them and joining with, with the mission along with Kellawag. And then part two is kind of a lot of standing around. As we mentioned, John's trying to relearn his, how to use the ring and is, 
it's a lot yeah it's a lot of standing around and then talking and sort of again it, it does give us the opportunity to probably spend more time with our villain than we otherwise would have we get to see sort of this very cultish nature of of his his relationship with his followers and his servants but uh yeah like i said i just i didn't think it was ne- necessarily uh, the time was necessarily used like as optimally as it could have been yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. So maybe, in a, maybe this should have been held off, or they should have held this off until a Justice League Unlimited episode, and it might have been a little bit more, uh, more uh, accurately paced with those being single contained 22-minute episodes. But we digress. With that said, maybe, maybe if you're, if you're watching all the way through, go ahead and throw this on. But it's not a must-watch. Agreed. All right, Liam. Well, that will wrap us up. For this week's episode, thank you everyone for tuning in and checking us out. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us probably on any of those ancillary ones as well. Don't forget to follow us, as we already said, on our Instagram page, at DCAU Review. You can also check us out at DCAU Review on Twitter. Uh, Liam does a lot of interacting over there with our listeners and talking about things. We've had a lot of recent anniversaries, Batman the Animated Series, 28th birthday, Superman the Animated Series, 24th birthday. We've been sharing our favorite moments and things from those series as well. So don't forget, check us out over there. Come join the conversation. Give us some feedback on what you thought about this episode as well. Uh, Liam, I think it's about time that we preview what we'll be covering for next week's episode. That's right. And while this this will not be our final episode focusing on Jon Stewart, we're actually going to switch things up and go to our Elseworlds episode next week, the third Ooh. Saturday of the month. And we will be, in fact, as requested by uh, several several people on both Instagram and Twitter, we will be viewing the first episode of the Green Lantern, the animated series show from uh, November 2011. Those episodes, uh, I think it's technically the first episode aired as a TV movie and then was later split into multiple parts, sort of similar to how Superman kicked off or, or Justice League, certainly. But uh, that episode is entitled Beware My Power. So looking forward to checking that out. I really don't – I'm sure that I saw at least part of one episode of this series, but I, I've never really sat down and, and given it a, a proper watch and certainly not for anything that we've covered so far. So looking forward to checking that out. Yeah, uh, another Bruce Tim project outside of the DCAU, but uh, definitely looking forward to checking that out. Of course, it is also CGI. It is not standard animation, so a little bit of difference uh, that we'll have to discuss next week. Looking forward to doing that. Uh, Don't forget also to check out our latest bonus episode, which is still up for streaming. We had part one of our DC Directrospective that's up there talking about the legacy and history, some of our favorite lines from DC Direct. We'll have the second part of that in the next few weeks being posted. Also, don't forget to check the feed next week also for our next bonus episode where we'll be covering the next couple chapters of Batman The Adventures Continue Digital First comic forward to discussing that but until then i am cal and liam and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the dcau bye bye